to uh, give you one of those. So just raise your hand and we'll have someone uh, run it to you. Uh, Matthew 22 is our chapter. Uh, and we should, we should note uh, that the end of... Uh, hey, Swan, do you mind grabbing a Bible right here? All right, thank you. Um, it's, it's supposed to be Mark's job, but he's not doing it, so... Uh, anybody else need Chris to do Mark's job for him? No? Okay. Um, but, okay, so, so at the end of, of chapter 22, it brings us uh, an important question, uh, not to just ask ourselves, but really our loved ones, uh, those we would consider enemies, uh, and really just anyone we, we come in contact with. There's a huge question here uh, at the end, and Jesus is going to draw us into pondering how we think about Him and really who we believe that He is. And, and this is all done uh, after a series of responses that He gives to some questions from different groups of Jewish leadership uh, as they are attempting to trap Him in His own words. Uh, in fact, their jealousy has grown into hatred, which is typically the response. Uh, when we allow jealousy to grow, hatred uh, follows very quickly. And so they didn't deal with the root of that, their jealousy. And now they have hatred where they've gone from, hey guys, we need to shut this Jesus guy up, to, hey guys, we need to kill him. Okay? That's what has been transpiring uh, over these past couple months for us as we've traveled through the Gospel of Matthew. And, and all of this um, evil is, is working. Uh, and the enemy would seem to believe that he is winning, but we both know that that's not the case. That God, in his great love, is allowing evil uh, because he has sent his son, uh, Jesus, to be our Savior King. And, and so last week, uh, we covered two questions. And I told you there's three questions, uh, and they would be disconnected uh, to this week. But, but we covered two questions last week where, where they brought up a political question uh, in regards to uh, God and government, where Jesus reminds us that all earthly authority is under the umbrella of his authority. Uh, that, that we give to Caesar what is Caesar's understanding, that Caesar uh, isn't God, that he has been allowed this stewardship of authority. And then uh, they brought up a doctrinal question uh, regarding the resurrection and marriage in heaven, and uh, to which Jesus reminds us that we have a living God who is great, who is powerful, and he is our great reward in heaven. Uh, that, that marriage does have a place, uh, that uh, on this side of eternity, uh, that it has a place and it is honoring to God. It is a snapshot of how Christ loves the church, but our greatest fulfillment uh, is a deep and intimate union with God in heaven, that, that he's our, our great prize. And so Jesus says, in, in heaven you are neither married nor given uh, away in marriage. And so, so now what we're going to do here is we're going to reach the end of this chapter uh, and, and really the end of this series. And, and I'll just be honest with you, when you come back next week, you may be just as surprised as me as to where we go. Uh, because I have like two or three really good options. Uh, and I feel kind of like the kid in the candy store or the convenience store where your parents said, hey, you can get one piece of candy. And you're like, how am I to choose between all of this? Uh, but eventually time's going to run out. And so uh, you better pick, you know, three musketeers or get out the door. Um, never, never end up with the nutter bar thing. That's just, that's bad choice. Um, and so, so, but today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to chew on a third question that, that's brought to Jesus. Uh, and then we're going to listen to him 
return volley uh, as he asks a question uh, to the to the crowd that's listening. And so uh, let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you, and we just we are so thankful that your incredible amount of love for us, that you would just allow us to return just just a, a tiny portion of it. Father, I pray we would get out of the way this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak, that He would proclaim the goodness of Jesus, that we would hear what Christ has to say today, and it would move us, not, not just for today, but that it would transform us, that it would continue to renew us by the power of Your Word. We love You. We thank You for Your Word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so just so we took a break, um, but you need to know as we dive into this scene, uh, Jesus hasn't. Uh, we've had almost seven full days here, right, between last Sunday and this Sunday. Uh, but Jesus, as we dive back in here, uh, this is all just a continuation of the two questions that were asked yesterday. And, uh, and this, is, this is what I love about being able to take breaks. Uh, as we get to chew on these words during the week. And so here we go. Uh, chapter 22, uh, we'll start in verse 34. Okay? So, so Jesus has just answered that question about um, there's a lady who's been married, uh, her husband died, and then they, she gets married seven times because all the brothers, and so who she married to. Jesus answers that question about the living God, and then we come here. But when the Pharisees, so you can circle that, we've been kind of doing that here in this chapter. We circle each group that kind of shows up. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Okay, now, if you remember, uh, back in verse 15, we saw the Pharisees arrive. They asked the first question that we we dealt with. Uh, In fact, they they grouped up with the Herodians, uh, which you were like, oh man, those are like two gangs that don't like each other. Uh, And so uh, they gathered together, and now they have come back for more, but if you'll remember, they left Jesus fearing the people because they're marveling at, at his authority through which he's teaching. And, and so after silencing the Sadducees, the Pharisees uh, more than likely saw an opportunity to stick it to them and say, oh, we'll bring up the best question. Uh, and so, so they gather together in this huddle and they try to create their next play and then they say, break. Uh, and then verse 35 happens and one of them Okay, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, okay, that's, that's significant. So, so a lawyer in the sense of he's not chasing ambulances, but he is an expert in the law, okay? Uh, an expert in the law, especially of God, asked him a question, and then you can, you can underline these words, to test him, okay? So the intention is to test Jesus. And he says this in verse 36, Teacher. Which is the great commandment? Which is the great commandment of the law? And he, being Jesus, said to him, being the lawyer, "You shall love the Lord your God." This is a big one, okay? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment, and the second is like it: You shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Very good. Uh, on these two. On these two commandments, okay, let's understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
On these two commandments demand all the law and the prophets. David Platt said, The man who approached Jesus was supposed uh, was a supposed expert in the law, but he actually missed the one to whom the entire Bible was pointing, since Jesus is standing in front of him. The lawyer uh, was, was deceived, uh, and though his head was full, his heart was cold. Uh, and that's exactly what is happening here. He sees Jesus. His head is full of the knowledge about what is said about Jesus, and yet his heart is cold towards him. And that's a danger for so many, for so very many. And, uh, and the Pharisees, here's what you need to know about them, if, in case you didn't. Uh, they, they followed the law of God, and when they were afraid about breaking the law of God, they would create a law that would keep them from getting close to breaking the law. Okay? So, so it's kind of like this. Think of a, um, you ever seen like, a, like an electric box? Okay? Imagine you have an electric box on the ground, and you say there's a sign, a little picket one that says, danger, electricity, don't touch. Right? So they say, hey, that's dangerous. We don't need to do that. Let's build a fence. Okay? And then all of a sudden, someone one day decides, I'm just going to climb the fence and touch the electric, the electricity. Right? And so they say, well, one fence isn't enough. Let's build two fences. Then let's build three fences. Let's build four fences. And all of a sudden, their desire is to live a life that's supposed, supposedly glorifying to God. And so they created close to 613 laws or commandments. Um, of that, uh, 248 of them are positives, which means uh, you need to do this. Uh, and 365 of them are negatives, meaning don't do this. So if, if you've ever grown up in a culture where you, people believe that the Bible is just a list of do's and don'ts, this is the world they were living in. Okay? So they created this. And, and out of that, what happened was they said, well, there's no possible way that anybody can keep all of these laws. Right? It's, it's impossible. You can't do that. And so they started to debate. Of these 613, which ones are more important than the others? So they would create these laws that they would consider, they would designate laws that they would consider heavy laws. So, so the big ones. And then they would designate light laws, which means if, you know, you break those. It's an, it, so it, Not unlike what we do today, right? Uh, anytime we've sinned, anytime we make a decision that is not glorifying to God, we say, well, at least I didn't murder a family of ducks, right? Uh, I don't know why ducks came in my mind there. It's just, just what happens. Well, I mean, it's, it's a little white lie. Ultimately, I will say I'm sorry if I'm caught for it. Right? But it's not that big of a deal. And the, the fallacy of that kind of thinking is that when God gives us His Word, and He says, um, here are my commandments, not here are my suggestions, He's revealing to us the order of holiness. That's what He's, re- that's what he's showing us. And in showing us our inability to keep the law, He reveals to us our desperate need for a Savior. So the law was never intended to trick you into saying, ah, I can't keep that. No, no. It was, hey, my standard of holiness doesn't cower down to your level. Okay? That's not the way this game works. So He gives us the law. It's a placeholder until Christ comes. That, that's, what, that's what the New Testament explains to us. So, so here... 
the uh, Pharisees decide to bring Jesus into this conversation. This is why I think it's so helpful, why it's so vital, because he, he's going to give us two instructions, and he says, all of it covers this. If these two things are of the utmost priority in your life, you will fulfill the law and the prophets. And so he draws our attention to two thoughts. The first one being that you would love God. But not that you would just have affection for God, that you would love God with your whole being. Yeah, all. All that you have. All that you have. And as I say that, we are experiencing some tension. It's like, oh, I do. I love God, but I love the cowboys. And on Sundays, I don't know who I love more. Oh, Sunday morning, I love God more. Sunday afternoon, all bets are off, right? And so he draws our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. That's all he does. This is what I love. Jesus teaches the Bible to people. And he says, I want you to remember Deuteronomy 6, 5. In fact, to the Jews, this was a significant uh, declaration. They called it the Shema. Uh, that, that the faithful recited uh, this daily. In fact, its intent was a pronouncement that was passed from generation to generation, from home to home. Uh, in fact, Deuteronomy 6, if you're, if you're saying, hey, I don't know how to parent in a biblical way, Deuteronomy 6 will take you light years past where you're at today. Uh, because in it, 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 it holds this, this responsibility, this urgency, specifically, I believe, to fathers to shepherd their families spiritually. In fact, uh, that... that that it, it holds this instruction for parents to proclaim and model the gospel in their homes. And there's no way around it. In fact, it says this. This is what they would say every day. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, there's not multiple gods. There's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And this is, this is, that's what I love. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. If you're a parent, just ask that question. Am I teaching the love of God to my children? You shall teach them diligently to your children on purpose. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Have you ever write a note on your hand like, oh, I need to remember to pick up milk, right? This is what we're saying. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, so what are we supposed to be writing? That the Lord our God is one. And you shall love Him with it all. With everything. And then Jesus says, the second is like it. The second is just as important. He says, And He takes us from Deuteronomy to Leviticus chapter 19. And I know most of you have already memorized the book of Leviticus. But in case you haven't, let me, re, let me re, uh, recap. Uh, it says this, chapter 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Ooh, right? It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit, doesn't fit well. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, 
but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't know, this is my love, uh, if, if you don't know who's saying it, Jesus says, I am the Lord. Or God says, I am, I am the Lord. I am your authority. I am the Lord. And the order of these two steps are important. It's not just happenstance that Jesus would say, you love the Lord your God, and then he would say, you would love your neighbor as yourself. Because our love for God is the fuel for our love for others. As Christians, our love for God is the fuel for our love for others. As we respond to God's great love displayed in Jesus, we see a great purpose in displaying His love in how we treat each other, and how we treat strangers, and even how we treat the people that we are in conflict with. That the Word tells us that people who pursue these two commandments, that they live a more purpose-filled life a more joy-filled existence than those who choose to walk their own paths. And and so so to love God, okay, here's what you know about that. Um, To love God is not to just have good feelings about Him. Like, oh, He's an all right guy. All right. I don't want to punch Him. Sweet. That's not what we're talking about. That true love involves the will as much as it does the heart and and where, where there is love, there will be service and obedience. And this is what Jesus says, that when you love God, you're going to love other people because you're being obedient to the Father. Um, but, but you can't divorce love for God and love for your neighbor. That's why Jesus brings us. In fact, we, could, we, we might add that uh, in the New Testament, the epistles, uh, we find this statement given repeatedly that, that if a man really loves God, he must also love his brother and his neighbor. You can go First John chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. You can go chapter 4 of that, verses 7 through 21. Uh, it just kind of lays it out. And it says, if you'd like to argue with it, you can. You're just going to be wrong. Uh, and so if, if, if we have a right relationship with God, we should have no problems with his commandments because love is the basis for our obedience. In fact, all of the love, all of the law is summed up in God's love. In fact, you can go Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 10 on that. If we love God, we'll love our neighbor. If we love our neighbor, we're not want to do harm to him. And so so let, let's talk very quickly in your talk notes about three ways we can put our love for God on display and in three ways we can put our love for our neighbors on display. This is by no means a comprehensive approach. Okay? Uh, this isn't, if you just follow these three simple steps, I think these are good guidelines. Okay? Uh, that, that we display our love uh, for God by number one, pursuing our role in His story. In His story. That, that one of the greatest deceptions of our time is proclaiming an allegiance to the things of God while living separate from His instruction and His calling. I I love God, I just don't want to do whatever God's told me to do. I love God, but what what I would rather do is spend my time building this small kingdom of me. Uh, You know, while, when it gets rough, I want to ask Him to bail me out. It's one of the greatest deceptions of our time. That, that in Christ, okay, as Christians, if you find yourself in Christ, your story is no longer yours. That was the agreement. 
And that's good news for you because your story was really, really boring. Really insignificant. So, so we show our love for God by honoring and hallowing His great name with the footsteps of our lives. Number two, uh, we, we display our love by not allowing sin and failures to define our identities. This is, this is one of the biggest struggles, I believe, with Christianity. Uh, Christians in particular. That, that in Christ, you are not your weakest moment. You with? That in Christ, you are not your weakest moment. You are not a cheater. You are not a hothead. You are not a drunkard. You are not a pornographer. You are not a glutton. You are not a weakling. You are not those things. You're not. Now, guilt will try to convince you that you are. Guilt will try to say, hey, you see who you are? That's what you do. That's what you're becoming. And Christ says there's no need to be shackled to those things any longer. They don't define you. So you're no longer defined by your greatest weakness or your deepest and your darkest sin. You are a child of the living God. You've been set free. And so Paul will say, just, just walk in that freedom. Just live in it. Don't put on your old sinful clothes. Put on your new robe of righteousness. Because you, you don't have to live there. When we trap ourselves in the guilt of our sins and the failures, we're forgetting all that God has done for us in Christ. That, that's not to say that we don't take sin lightly, because we don't. We don't treat sin flippantly. We pursue holiness. But it's not based on making God love us more. We pursue holiness and we fight temptation and we put sin to death because God has displayed onto us an incredible amount of love in Christ. And He says, I've, I've released you. I've set you free. And so we don't obey to, to make Him love us more. We obey simply because He has set us free. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Number three, we follow His steps regardless of our comfort. Comfort. That if we show our love for God by honoring and hallowing His great name with the footsteps of our lives, then we must prepare ourselves for the chance that He may call us to step on ground that we aren't so sure about. But He is. Always. Always. One of the most fascinating things to me from the, the scene of the burning bush with Moses is that Moses brings up all of these excuses for why he can't go on this adventure of the God's size. And every single time God says, I've already thought about that, i fixed that. God does not send you to a place He hasn't prepared you for. Okay? Now, the issue is, do you believe that you're prepared for it or not? So, so we show our love for God by following His steps regardless of our, of our comfort. And that's why, that's why trusting and faith is so vital to the pursuit of the Christians. That, that, that as our love grows, our trust grows. Isn't that true? I mean, we, we have these relationships with our spouses, um, but the, it didn't always, doesn't always start with deep, intimate trust and love, right? Right? Um, for, for me, 
I was just interested in a skirt. Right? Just saying. Looked good. Looked good. Never loved second period more than I did that day walking that hallway. And I remember as Misty and I started dating um, like 78 years ago that that what started off as a very immature attraction began to form into a close friendship. And then that friendship continued to blossom into a committed relationship. And that committed relationship one day grew into a covenantal marriage. And our intimacy all along that way, as our love has grown with one another, our intimacy has grown, which means our trust has grown. And we work hard serving one another and loving one another and fostering that kind of trust. So, so you take that, and I failed her constantly. Okay, So you take that, and this is what we get. We, we have a snapshot of what it looks like to pursue the heart of the Father. That as our love for Him grows, our trust in Him grows. Not that He ever has to come in and say, well, let me prove my worth to you. Because the heavens declare it. The rocks sing of His glory and His praise and His, his, just, just his majesty. And as we grow closer to Him, as we start to are more aware of what He is doing, that, that trust grows. And so when He calls us into a, our adventures, all of a sudden our comfort isn't as big of a deal. Because we know that wherever He is, that's where we long to be. Spend some time this week in Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Beautiful. So let's talk about loving people. Okay? So, so in this exercise, I just want you to think of the person that you don't like the most. Okay? And if they're sitting beside you, just elbow them right now. Um, no? <laughs> you, you won't do it? You know, Ryan just popped up like, oh, this is going to be good. There's a fist fight at church. Um, wouldn't be the first one. Uh, so, so let's talk about how, how, we, how we love people. People, we, we display our love for people, uh, number one, by remembering that people matter to God, so they matter to us. Okay? People matter to God, so they matter to us. You, you were part of the For God So Loved the World crew. Okay? That God is crazy about people. That, that He cares deeply about us. He has given us dominion over all creation. Raccoons don't run the show. Okay? It'd be horrible. We'd all be living in trash cans if that was the case. That, that he hasn't he has sent his son to die for us. Not not any other of the animal kingdom. So so we matter to God. And if we matter to God, your neighbor matters to God. Your kids uh, kids in your child's school matter to God, and so they should matter greatly to us. Number two. We remember, we, we display our love by remembering our love for people is based on God's love for us displayed in Jesus. It's always this reflection. Your love for other people is built in your um, awareness of who God is. 
And this is, this is why uh, love for people should come much more easier than we tend to make it. And at first, John leans us in this direction by, by building this argument uh, of, of the connection in loving God and loving people based solely on the fact that we are responding to God's great love. So that's, what, that's the Christian life. You are simply responding to God's great love. You don't withhold it. You don't manipulate it. You don't try to take advantage of other people with it. Okay? Understand this. Love is never a weapon. You with? Love is it's never a weapon. You love others freely because you have been given a free gift of Jesus because of God's great love for you. Then number three, you remember, you just put your love for people on display by remembering, reflecting God's love is always the right decision. It's always the right decision. This, this is what I know. Okay? Because I know this about me, I'm just going to assume you're just as dumb as I am. Okay? That, that in those moments, when you know the right thing to do is the loving thing to do, and you choose not to do that, it's because there's something inside you that you're feeding. There's some desire in you where you either want to win or you want them to experience the pain that you have felt. Forgetting the fact that there are some wounds that you've received that nobody can ever feel the way you felt it. There are some. Just, you can't. There aren't enough sorries. There isn't enough restitution to fix those things. And so, so this, is, this is this is why for me, and I, all, I constantly come back to this, my, my favorite verse in all the Bible um, is, is 1 Corinthians 16, 14, where it just says, do everything in love. Everything in love. I want to take the debate right off the table for you. When in doubt, choose love. Choose a sacrificial Choose a brotherly affection kind of love. Just, just choose love. Just don't do hate. Don't pursue violence. Just choose love. And we hear that in our society, and we're like, that, that, that would never work. It would never work. It's been working. It's been working for thousands of years. That God chose love. In fact, Romans 13, verse 8 says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I know, some of you are like, oh, you don't know my neighbor. This is the thing. You don't know my neighbors. And some of you are my neighbors, and I'm like, we'll just leave that where it is. But he says, you don't, I don't, we don't have to know the neighbors. Because the choice for the Christian is to always love. And so granted, you, you may not have the return you expected in displaying the love, right? You ever shown love and it wasn't returned? Yeah, well, that's not what I expected. I, I kind of anticipated them, you know, kind of praising me and lifting me up on their shoulders and carrying me out the room while I'm, like, doing this, freeze frame, right? 
You, you most definitely, when you choose love, you most definitely will not get the revenge you believe they deserve. Right? But lashing out in love is the greatest way of putting your love of God on display so that those who are far from Him will find life in Jesus. It's those moments where people say, you didn't respond the way that you're supposed to. And you say, but for the grace of God, I didn't. Let's keep moving. So, so Jesus, the last two weeks, Jesus has answered three difficult questions. Uh, he's dealt with the relationship between religion and government, between life, this life and the next life, between God and our neighbors. And, and these, are, these are fundamental relationships that, that we can't ignore Jesus' teachings here. He just says, here's the answers. Uh, but there's a question more fundamental than these, and Jesus is going to ask of the people that, that they would consider Jesus their enemy. I don't believe Jesus would have looked at them and said, oh, you're my enemies. Okay? These people have decided we are enemies of Christ. So now, verse 41, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying this, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, Well, the the son of David. Right? Now let's remember this. Okay? Um, When we started chapter 22, uh, Jesus arrived uh, into Jerusalem, uh, and and he asked a a very specific... uh, I'm sorry. As he's riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Highest praise be to the son of David. Okay? So, so Jesus asks, What do you think about the Christ, uh, the Messiah, whose son is he? And they said to him, Well, it's the son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit... You can circle that. Because that's, that's, that's important. Calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Okay? That's what I love. Everyone's like, uh, we're done. We're done. Now what happens next uh, is Jesus is going to speak. He's going to continue speaking to this group. Um, but, but, but Jesus doesn't phrase the question the way that he's been phrasing. A very similar question. Uh, almost all the way back to Matthew 16, we started to see the disciples see Jesus' footsteps and they start to say, Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And so Jesus would perform these signs and these miracles and, and they would start to come closer. And then finally Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, says, who do people say that I am? And they would respond with, you know, like Elijah or Moses. And, and then they look, he looked at them and he says, who do you say that I am? And now Jesus knows he can't ask that question in that way to the Pharisees. Because they don't really know other than the fact that they don't like Jesus. And so instead of asking that question, he asks a question regarding the Messiah. And and at the heart of his question is is the same one. 
that, that he's asking his disciples. He says, you see, the, the Pharisees know that the Messiah is coming. They just refuse to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. The Pharisees know that the Messiah is coming through the line of the, the family line of David, and that's why he leads them to Psalm 110. And that, that's the whole, uh, why does David say, uh, the Lord said to my Lord. In fact, Psalm 110 is one of, one of the most clearest psalms of all uh, regarding the Messiah. And, and so, so this question was about how can David be the father uh, and be a great king, but yet submit to the lordship of the Messiah. And, uh, and now this is where Psalm 110 really affects us. If, if you're there, um, it will say, the Lord said to my Lord. Okay? But, and both of those Lords will have big L's, capital L's at the beginning. Uh, but the first one will have all caps but smaller. Okay? So, so the Lord, anytime you see in the Bible that, where it's, it's big L but it's not lowercase, Lord, uh, it's referring to Jehovah God. Okay? Anytime you go back to the other one where it says L and it's all lowercase Lord, uh, that's referring, the speaker is referring to someone greater than himself. Okay? So this is why David is saying, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And so all of that, all of that to say this. Jesus is looking at him. And he says, who do you say that I am? Because either I am the Messiah in your heart or I'm not. And this is the three, I think, most important questions. And we can start wrapping this up. I think it's the three most important questions that Jesus asked us this morning. He comes in and he says, okay, listen, you guys have been asking me and asking me and asking me. I've been proving through the last couple of days. I've been telling you what's about to happen here. So really, all of this comes down to this simple thought. Who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? And then he walks us through three questions that I think he asked them, but he's, also, he's most particularly asking us this morning. Jesus looks at us and he says, Am I the Christ? Am I the one that you were waiting for? Do you believe that I am your Savior King there? Number two, am I the Son of God? Do, you believe, do I believe that Jesus is more than a prophet? He's more than a miracle worker? Do I believe He is the one that God has sent to rescue me from the grip of sin that leads to death? Do I believe that? Because that's what God says he was sending and then lastly number three Jesus comes in and we've been we've been talking to him about him as savior king right and he comes in and asks this question am I the king of your heart because here here's what I know there will be a king of your heart there will be and my, my greatest fear in my life is that I would be the king of my own heart. Because I would be a horrible king. Very short-sighted. Very temperamental. Not long-suffering. Not patient. And so he looks at us and he says, he says, Listen, there's a king of your heart. Am I the king? 
And this is where some tension grows, right? Because we've never seen a king love us purely. History tells of kings taking advantage, taking advantage of their people, dictators taking advantage, presidents doing horrific things, right? And so the walls of defense grow and we say, well, I don't want a king if that's what the king brings. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm, I'm not like anything. I'm not anything like that. I'm pure. I love. I bring peace. I bring hope. I bring purpose. And in my king, kingdom, I'm sorry, king, I was really lost. Kingdom's an actual word, though. Um, but in my kingdom, I bring green pastures. I care for you. And you adventure with me. And I think that's, that's the question. Who do I say that Christ is? And I'm just going to tell you, if the answer to your question isn't my Lord and Savior, you really are in, you're trapped. Apart from Him, you have no hope. And my prayer is that today would be the day that you give your heart to Him. And you would understand just what life with Him looks like. Our desire this week is to love God by... Ah, see, it all worked into today's passage. Uh, please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make a couple of things available to you. If you need prayer just because you need someone to come alongside, put their arm around you, pray over you, we long to do that. We believe community is formed through prayer. Uh, the Hansons and the Hards, they'll be, they'll be up here. They want to pray with you. Maybe you don't have a good answer for that question. If someone says, who is Jesus to you? And you say, I, I don't know. We'd love to walk with you through that question. We'd love to adventure with you as you give your heart to Christ. We believe today is the best day to do that. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word so that we're not guessing. Thank you for your son so that we have purpose. And thank you for your love so that we don't have to withhold it. I pray that you would burden our hearts for people who don't know you, who are fighting you, who are running from you. I pray that you would embolden our spirits to proclaim your greatness and that we would live this week knowing that we are yours. That we've been set free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.